Why don't you take your Bibles? Let's open it to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're only going to study two verses this um, afternoon because it's a challenging verse. And I think like Phil prayed as well, I think this, this text really echoes that bond that should be between all Christians and um, especially the miracle which we call a Christian. And if you realize what, it, what really happens to make someone a Christian, you will, you will echo Paul's thanksgiving for God. Um, it's interesting, um, I've, you know, it, we, we might be tempted to think Paul was a, a man full of thanksgiving for other people. But if you read the Bible, there was, there's always a pattern in his thanksgiving. It was thanking God for people. And that's a very consistent pattern. And the reason God gets the thanks is because it's God's work. It's God's grace. We are his workmanship. And, and so we should also share in that view of what a Christian is and then Lord willing, after this text, that the Holy Spirit will lead us to also share in the thanksgiving um, for God to other Christians. So let's read the text together. But uh, let's read the whole passage from verse 15 to 23. Hear now the words of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you all lead us into this joyful thanks that Paul had. Father, I pray that we would share in that, that by your Spirit, that you will open our eyes to see the spiritual reality of what is a Christian, that we would also give you the thanks for, for bringing a body of believers, which are a body of miracles, to, together as one. And Lord, I pray that you will cause us to to pray for one another and to echo Paul and to imitate Paul even as he imitates Christ, that we would be ceaseless in our thanks, ceaseless in our prayers for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like Paul has just finished his amazing poem of praise in verses 3 to 14. Three times he said that God does this to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. That's why God saves us. That's why God blesses us, so that we might praise Him in joyful praise and joyful thanks. But Paul isn't done praising God, you could say. He's not done thanking and worshipping God. You could say that as Paul steps back and considers this eternal blessings that God has given to us, he, it spills over into ceaseless thanksgiving for the church and prayer for God's people. And what's amazing about when you, when you study, start studying the prayer of verses um, 17, the content of his prayer, 17 to the end, he's basically asking God to give the believers, us, the Holy Spirit, that we might understand verse 3 to 14. So it's like, 
Here are the blessings. This is true, whether you believe it or not, Christian. You, this is who you are in Christ. And now I pray that you might grasp it, that you might have the Holy Spirit, that He might enlighten your eyes to see it. So it's not... So good theology must be mixed with prayer. Good theology must be mixed with the power of the Holy Spirit for it to become real for you. And that's so, so important. And we should even pray this for one another. So that's what Paul is saying. He's not praying this for himself. He's, Lord, open their eyes to see who they are. And those three things. But we're going to look at that next time. Um, today, we're just going to focus on Paul as a prayer model for us and how he was ceaseless in prayer. And as you study Paul's prayers, there's a common theme, and I find it extremely challenging when you start looking at his prayer life. It seemed like he was a man who just never stopped, never stopped praying, right? And about this church, he said, and this is what makes this prayer so amazing, in verse 15, he says, this reason, because I have what? Heard of your faith. Paul hasn't met many of the believers in this time. He says, these are believers he's only heard about. And then he prays for them with, with unending, ceaseless prayer. He didn't even know these people personally. Listen to how Paul prays for other churches as well. So let me just quote a few other passages of the beginning of the epistles. Romans 1, verse 9 to 10. He says, for God is my witness. Imagine you could say that to your prayer. God is my witness. <laughs> that whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Listen to Philippians 1, Philippians 1 verse 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Colossians 1 verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. Do you hear? What's the common phrases there? Always, every prayer, ceaseless. We don't cease. We, we do this all the time. And on and on it goes. And I believe his example is given to us to imitate. We should look at how he prays, look at what he prays for, and we should examine our own prayer lives and say, can we imitate him? Should we follow him? And I think we should. Follow Paul as he follows Christ. Because who is the greatest prayer warrior, if you could say like that, right? It's, it's Jesus himself. Jesus himself in, intercedes for us without stop. It was often early in the morning and late at night when he would pray. Alone in the mountains, he would spend unending time with his father in prayer. So, so we're going to look at three questions, answer the first two in this sermon, and then next, next week we'll look at the third question. So three questions we want to answer. First, how did Paul know that they were Christians? What did Paul do when he found out they were Christians? And then what did Paul pray for these Christians? So the first question, let's answer the first question as we study this text. is How did Paul know that these people were true believers? How, what, what gave him the clues that he needed to know that these people were truly saved. And we already looked at that a little bit last week, but now we're going to just look at it a bit closer in verse 15. So verse 15, two reasons. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and, number two, your love toward all the saints. So faith in Jesus expressed as love for the saints 
is how Paul knew that these were miracles, that these are the work of God. These are truly Christians. So first, the true Christian has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first way Paul knew that they were saved. Now, saving faith consists of at least three things. So three ingredients, you could say, of saving faith. Because there's a lot of people who believe, but not many people have saving faith, have true saving faith in Christ. So what is the difference between a faith that saves and a faith which condemns? And first, you must have a right understanding of who Jesus is. True faith, saving faith, must include a right understanding of who Jesus is. Right in our text, you already see one of those true things you must acknowledge. Right? In verse 15, what, what do we call Jesus? Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. <laughs> He's not just any man. In fact, this is the common message of the apostles. Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It was the, it was the essential statement of faith. Jesus is King. That's another way to say he is God. For the Lord is God. He is the Lord of the universe. He rules and reigns. He is the creator of all things and all things were created for him. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Caesar is an ultimate Lord. The government is an ultimate Lord. No person, no thing is ultimate. Nobody is ultimate. Only Jesus is ultimate. You will not be judged by human courts one day. You will be judged by the judgment seat of Christ. He is Lord. As a reminder, Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the question is, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? He is God. He is your King. You have submitted your life to Him. You've committed you, yourself to Him as your Lord. If, if not, if you deny that, if you don't believe in His deity, that He is God, you do not have saving faith. You do not have the, one of the essential ingredients to save you. But also, you mustn't just believe that He is Lord. You must also believe that He is the Christ. That he is the Christ. In verse 2, so jumping back a bit, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ is not his surname. So we, we might be tempted to think like that, right? So Because it always comes at the end. But it's more a title of who he is, of his role, what he's fulfilled. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. The one the Old Testament prophesied and promised will come to free his people from their slavery, to sin. Jesus is a Jew, born of a woman, born under the law, but he took the curse of the law so that he can redeem us from the law. Remember Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So another way to say this, not just that Jesus is God, do you believe he was a man? <laughs> do you believe he walked among us um, as a man? Do you believe Jesus is the only Savior? Do you believe He's the only one who could have died on the cross for the sins of His people? This too is essential to, to have saving faith. But that is not enough. So it's not enough just to have right understanding of who Jesus is. There's a second component which has already been implied, but you must also believe the truth about Jesus. So not just know it, 
but you must believe it. So, again, many people know these things, but they don't believe them. So, again, a simple question is, do we believe these things? Is it not just an intellectual exercise for us, but do we truly believe that Jesus is God, that he died, that he has risen from the dead? And here's the last component. Not even believing is enough that he is all these things. You must trust him and treasure him. True saving faith doesn't just believe the truth about Jesus. It looks to him as the treasure of your soul. You look to him in trust. So a simple way to illustrate that is you can know a lot about somebody. You can even believe the truths about that somebody. But do you trust that person? The classic illustration of this is a man, I think this is a true story, you can, where a man could walk with a wheelbarrow over, over the, the Nigeria, Nigerian Falls, or the Niagara Falls, sorry, there's, there's the word. Over a thin wire, he could walk with a, a wheelbarrow, and people were gathering, and they were clapping hands, and like, wow, it's amazing. And, and he asked, do you believe I can do that? And everybody's like, yes, we just saw you do it, we believe. He said, okay, climb in the wheelbarrow. All right, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm not trusting you. I'm believing about you. I'm not going to stake my life upon you. Now, just to be fair, I'm, I also won't climb in, okay? Because people make mistakes. <laughs> people can make accidents, and I don't want to be one of those accidents. <laughs> but Jesus never makes a mistake, right? So he, he doesn't fail. He cannot fail. He's faithful. So you can abandon yourself in trust in him. John 1 verse 12 shows us really the essence of saving faith. It says, but to all who did receive him. That's the key word. Receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, believing is receiving. That's the key way to understand it. It's to receive him like a wife receives her husband, like a husband receives his wife on the day of their marriage. It's not a light, joyless... <laughs> type of a thing. It is a treasure. You embrace your spouse as the joy of your heart, as the great treasure she, he or she is to you. So in the same way, don't just believe Jesus is God, Lord, Messiah, Savior. You trust him as your God. You trust him as your Savior. You trust him as your Messiah, your substitute on the cross for your sins. You trust him. And that's fundamental. That is, that is what saving faith is. And that, that's, that's the difference between the faith of a Christian and the faith of demons. Because faith, demons have faith. They believe the truths about Jesus. They know them and they believe them. But again, they don't receive him. They don't submit to him. They don't treasure him. James 2 verse 19 says, you, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe, but they shudder. James is just showing, listen, if you just believe these things without any type of trusting, committing yourself to him, submitting to his lordship, you, you, you're no better than a demon. That's exactly what the demons do. This is what makes a true Christian. Faith in the Lord Jesus. Do you have this faith in him? Do you know who he is? Do you believe these things? And do you treasure him? Do you trust in him? Have you rolled your soul upon his almighty shoulders to carry you to heaven. I, my favorite example of this type of faith is the thief on the cross, right? What I love about him is he sinned his entire life. 
He didn't get one day to go make amends. He didn't get one day to prove himself to Christ. And he didn't even ask to say, he didn't even ask Jesus to save him. What did he say? Think about me. Lord, just think about me when you enter into your kingdom. And so a dying man rolled his sinful soul upon a dying savior. And that was enough. Completely forgiven. Completely cleansed from your sin. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Have you rolled your soul upon the Savior? Have you trusted in him alone? That's the question we all need to answer tonight. So that's the first and the most important way Paul knew that these were true Christians. But then the, the outflow of our faith in Jesus is the second way Paul knew that they were true Christians is their love for the saints. Their love for the saints. Look at verse 15. He says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So we've looked a bit about a bit on this on last week, but it's worth repeating. The most important fruit of salvation is love, loving others. It is the first listed in this, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love. The greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John 4 verse 8, John says, this is a test if you really know God. It says anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And 1 John 4 20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And that's why Galatians 5 verse 6, this is the essential test of saving faith. It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. And, you know, we, we could have stopped there, but Paul clarifies the type of faith, working through love that's the faith that saves you the faith that shows itself that blossoms into love for others love for the saints this means that it's not ultimately your membership your giving your baptism your hard work which counts for anything towards your justification it's not these things which saves you but only faith working through love now we need to ask love for whom specifically right you, get, you see what Paul, like there was a very specific object of the Christian's love that, that made it clear in verse 15. Your love toward all the saints. This love was specific. It was, it was a, a specific electing kind of a love, right? Um, it's like we love everybody, but we love, especially love the saints. <laughs> we love everybody, but we have favorites. Okay, now that doesn't sound very good to say, but, but it's true. None of you would blame me to say, listen, I love all of you, but I love my wife more. Well, that is so, so loveless. Right? None of you think that because she's my wife. She's my, and I love my children more than you. Sorry to break it for you as well, like I do. And because they're my family. In the same way, this is your family. This is your brothers and sisters. There's, there's, a, a, there's a filial love you have for other christians that you don't share with unbelievers now we do love all men god does command us to love everybody so please don't what did you learn today at church no i shouldn't love the world or anybody in the world 
No, please don't. But 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 this is this is really one of the signs of a true born again Christian. You are born again into a family. You have siblings that you see with new eyes. Now, are all your siblings equally likable? No. <laughs> it doesn't mean you must like everybody necessarily, but because that's why later in Ephesians says we should be bearing with one another. Um, you know, you don't bear with people that's easy. You bear with people that you have to bear with. But still you love them. Still you have affection for them. Still you forgive them. And you have a desire to be part of them, of that family. That's why someone that says I'm, that's never part of a church, never wants to be part of a church, is an oxymoron. It's, it's a contradiction. Now, sometimes cr true Christians get hurt in false churches, right? Or true Christians get hurt in immature churches and they stay immature. They stay that, that, that one brother or sister that never grows up, you know, to learn to forgive and be patient. But, but still, this is one of the essential signs. If you love the Father, you will love His children. You will love His. If you love Jesus, the Son, you will love His brothers and His sisters. I love this quote from Stuart Ulliott. He wrote about this. He says, Christians do not consider other Christians as being separate from themselves, but as being part of themselves. They gather with them whenever they can and do not let personal considerations keep them away. They use their tongues to help their brothers and sisters, but not to hurt them. Their homes are open to one another. How much they enjoy being at table with each other. They do not hold back their time, their talents, their money, if these can be used in the interest of God's people. That's beautiful. Is that the way you feel about other Christians, other believers? And again, the most, I think the most practical way to ask this is, where do you feel more at home? Like where, where do you feel these are my kind of people, right? Is it the church? Is it Christians? Or is it the world? Is it unbelievers? If it is unbelievers, it's the world, then that, at least it's a red flag in your life. But if it's the church, that's at least a pointer and a sign that you say, the Lord has done a true work of grace in your heart. That's a true work of saving grace in you. So test yourself this afternoon. Do you have faith in Jesus? Trusting Him, treasuring Him as your Lord and Savior? And do you have true love for all the saints? If you don't, then you're not a Christian, right? That's, if this is what was the symbol and the signs of a true Christian, then this is, if you don't have that, then you're not a Christian. But again, the reminder for you, if you can test yourself and see this is not fitting in my life, you are the kind of people Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come for the healthy, didn't come for the good. He came for those who are sick, those who are sinful, those who are evil, those who constantly fail. He came for them. He died for them. In fact, he loved them so much, people blamed him as, as a glutton because he was always eating with people that was rejected by society as the utterly sinful the unlovable, but those are the people Christ came for. Those are the people Christ loved, and He gladly saves them. There's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. So if, it, if that's you, if you if you have no signs of saving grace, then come to Christ. Come to Him. He will change your heart to love what He loves and to lay down your life for what He laid down His life for. But perhaps you look at your life and, and you see the signs, you see these things in your life, but it's like a flickering flame. It's, it's, very, it's like a dying flame in your heart, in your life. It's, you've grown lukewarm to these things. You no longer treasure Christ as you once did. You love Him, but it's not your first love anymore. Revelations 2, right? 
and you really don't love other saints anymore. You've grown cold in your love for other believers, other saints and Lord. And, and the answer to you is repent. Just repent. Return to your first love. Return to Him. Commit yourself again to Him as your Lord, as your Savior. Receive Him once again as your highest joy, your highest treasure. For only He can kindle again your flame. The flame of your love for Him and your flame for your love for your brothers and your sisters. Repent of your selfishness. Repent of your selfish ambition. Repent of that. God's plan for you is to be part of an uncomfortable family. (laughs) That's His plan for you. It's part of the sanctifying process. When I got my family, when I got children, I started really realizing how sinful I am. You know, before you have children, you think you are an amazing man and woman. And then the Lord gives you two sinners that cares nothing for you. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe he'll give you more or less. I don't know. But that's when your sin comes out. You realize, wow, I'm an angry man. I never saw myself as an angry man, but look at how I'm shouting at my kids. (laughs) I need to repent of that. And I think it's similar when, when once you start really rubbing shoulders with other Christians, once you start really... Coming, being part of a church, you start realizing how selfish you are, how, how hard it is to share your meal, to share your, your home. And it, it, it's hard, but that's part of the process of becoming like Christ. And so embrace the uncomfortableness of it. It's part of his plan for you to love the saints, those whom he has set apart for himself. And ask God for the Holy Spirit. This is something that you can't do by your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to love and to give yourself in sacrificial love for others. And if you see these signs in you, if you see a sweet trust in Jesus, and you see your love for the saints, rest. Rest. You are a child of God. Those are the evidences that you have been saved by His amazing grace. You belong to Christ. Nothing can separate you from His love. Nothing will. Great is thy faithfulness. Again, as Phil prayed earlier, we might be unfaithful, but God remains faithful. He will finish the good work that he started in you. So rest in him. So that's the first question we, we needed to just consider. is what, How did Paul know that these were true believers? Because of their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints. But secondly, and here's the more challenging part, is the response is, what did Paul do when he found out that they were true Christians? Look at verse 16 to 17 again. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So, Paul didn't stop thanking God for them. That's how he responded. Notice, who gets the thanks here? He's praying to God and thanking God for these Christians. What's the implication of that? Why doesn't he thank them for their faith? Thank them for their love? That's not what he does. And I must confess, sometimes we do that with one another. We see how we love one another and say, thank you for loving. And that, that's fine, I think, in certain sense. But we need to become more God-centered in our thinking. Like when, The reason why we love one another is a miracle. It's a work of grace. That's not natural. When we love one another, when we forgive one another, when we bear with one another, when we spend time together, God must get the thanks because it's His work. It's His grace. 
It's like when you meet another Christian, you meet another person that has been saved by God. That's not a small thing. And that's why I love the local church because this is a body of miracles. This is a body of saved people that has been transformed by the grace of God together. That is amazing. Whenever you see another Christian, thank God for that. Thank him for their faith in Jesus and for their love because that too is his gift. That too is his work of grace in their lives by the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 2 verse 10. We're going to look at this a little bit later in detail, but chapter 2 verse 10 really gives the idea for us. It says, For we Christians are his workmanship. Greek word is poema, where we get our word poem. Okay? Any work, it's like a work of art. Christians are God's work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christians are God's poem, God's work of art, God's painting, God's building, God's, God's manifold glory is displayed as we look at the church together. And therefore, what thanks we should be giving when we, we know someone who's saved. How thankful we should be to God if we see this grace in other people's lives. What a habit it should be to you when you see that, when you even hear about it. And that, that, this is really the challenge for me is you, we might even just hear about other churches, other believers. And we should, our first reaction should be to well up in thankful praise to God who does that work. Notice how often Paul gives thanks. For them in verse 16 it says i do not cease so it's one thing to say i'm praying for you it's another thing to say i haven't stopped praying for you you see the difference paul says i haven't stopped praying for you i haven't stopped giving thanks for you and praying for these things if faith and love are the signs of true faith and true life then thanksgiving to God is the true sign of a healthy soul. A heart full of thanks is a heart full of the Holy Spirit. And this is another test you could take tonight. Are you a thankful person for your brothers and sisters, for, for God? And look at chapter 5, verse 18. It's one of the fruits of being filled with the Spirit. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul says someone that's filled with the Spirit will be singing, will be joyful, will be addressing one another and will be giving thanks always and for everything. That's the sign. So will you check the, the spiritual health of your life? How thankful are you? In general. Okay, let's take it one step further. How thankful are you for other Christians? Let's take it another step further. How often do you also pray to God, asking Him to give them the Holy Spirit that they might understand their rich salvation? You could take it one step further. Have you ceased to do that? Or are you ceaseless in your prayers? I think here yeah, we should just face ourselves honestly. 
and openly. I think here the word of God cuts into us and asks us where we are. The soul that only thinks of himself is a very small soul. The soul that only has room for one person, him or herself, is a very tiny soul. The test is this. If you were to cut out all your prayers for yourself, how much would remain? Right, that's, that's, that's a challenging question. Pro praying only for yourself is like living with a permanent mask on, in a dark room with no ventilation, no windows and no doors. It's suffocating. It smothers your soul. Praying for others is like opening the windows. Praying for others is allowing the air to flow again in your soul. So, beloved, we should learn this soul-enlarging habit of giving thanks to God for other believers, other Christians, and pray for them. And the good news is, to give thanks for God for Christians and for, for one another is something everybody can do. Paul was in prison when he did this. You might, you might argue, but he had more time, right? <laughs> He's in prison, so... But yet, he's in a dark space, right? He's in a difficult circumstance, and he's giving thanks for believers. His heart is indwelt, is indwelt in heaven. You might be physically ill. You might be unable to help and serve in church in practical ways or whatever, but you can always pray. You can always give thanks. You can be retired. You can be frail and weak, but you can pray. You might be struggling with intellectual matters or education or but you can pray you can do that anyone can pray and give thanks to god for the good work he does in christians so think of those around you do you have anyone in your family who loves the lord give thanks to the lord for them do you know your brothers and sisters in this church Give thanks to God for them, for that, for that sister, that brother right next to you, right now. Give thanks to God for them. Do you hear news of how God is working in another church, in another location? Give thanks to God for them. Think of the Christians in your life and thank God. Thank Him. They are His work. So, beloved, let us commit ourselves to the Lord and to one another. Through thankful prayer, let us repent of our lukewarmness, our complacency, our small soulness. Let us strive to be able to say with Paul, I have not ceased to give thanks for you. And let us remember that the reason why we would ever make it to heaven is not because of our prayers, because of our works, but because of Christ's work and his prayers for you. That's important to say. Like he prayed for Peter, he prayed let their faith, let his faith remain. So he prays for one, every one of his own. Let his faith remain. May his faith not fail. May her faith never fail. And God always answers yes to that prayer. Beloved, are you weary? Are you scared of the future? Are you fearful that you won't be strong enough to endure till the end? Look to Christ. He is your almighty Savior. He, does, he doesn't struggle to fulfill his will. He is praying for you. He is keeping you. And He will lead you home. Amen. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for your, your word that shows us the example of your saints. Thank you for a man like Paul, Lord, that you saved. A man that was not on his way to love you or to seek you, but you revealed yourself to him by your sovereign grace. You opened his eyes. You revealed, Father, the Son in his heart. And he saw and he believed. And he became this man of whom we read, that he became a man of ceaseless thanks for other believers because he knows they are your work. Father, I pray, give us that same eyes of faith. Give us the same eyes of faith that Paul had for one another as we look at one another to see the miracle that every Christian is. Lord, I pray that we would become people of prayer and people of ceaseless thanks in our lives. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We are often so um, focused on our own little world, our own little problems, our own little lives that there's no room for thanking you for others and opening our, our hearts, opening our homes, opening even our wallets to one another, to serve one another and bless one another. Father, forgive us for that. Forgive us for that lukewarm spirit and heart. And I pray, Lord, that we would um, praise you and worship you in faithful, faithful praise. We pray this in Jesus' name.